Colossians 3 and verse 12 is where we'll be looking this morning. Paul has been going on talking about our salvation in Christ, the sufficiency we have in Christ. He has celebrated all the truths that are applied to us now. We're not aliens. We're not uh, at war against God. We have been brought near to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, again, it's not just something for the future. We've been saved from the wrath of God then, and the future is something that changes our very lives now. In fact, this this verse, verse 12, begins, or uh, the second word actually is, therefore, he says, therefore, the implication of all the doctrine I've been teaching you up to this point has a, a moral imperative or a moral um, pushing for us. Uh, it's, it's not a pulling that we ought to, to strive for it in our own strength, but it's a pushing. Now we have a desire, not to mention the ability to please God, to the ability to reflect God uh, in his beauty in this world. We can uh, talk about God as being good and and gracious and compassionate and loving and everything, which he is, but he wants us to to mimic that. He wants us to imitate him. He wants us to act just like him. Isn't that just like a father to want his kids to act like like him? I mean, it's not enough acting like your older brother. Well, wait a minute. Christ is our older brother. Well, we should act like him. We should be more like our older brother. We should be conformed to his image. God wants us, because of our salvation, because of our identity in Christ, to live different lives, to be stark in contrast to what the world um, celebrates and, and honors, as we saw earlier, like in verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5, or in verse 8, all these sins and wickednesses that we, we put away, we put those off from us. We don't want to do that anymore. That's what we used to do all the time, but now we can live differently. So here in verse 12, let me read beginning at verse 12 down to verse 17 uh, to uh, get this in our minds, the moral imperatives now after Uh, coming to Christ. Verse 12 says, So as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and graciously forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. Above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a tremendous passage. The implications again of what Paul has been talking about. Uh, even from the very outset of of uh, Colossians, he talks to the saints. Well, who are the saints? Not those people that we, well, not we necessarily, but the church, the the, whole, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, at least, celebrated All Saints Day last week. Uh, they, the saints are those special breed of Christians who, uh, you know, Christians in a, in a very generous uh, non-biblical term, uh, to uh, that can reflect the the, uh, the fact that they. It's, did miracles, at least one miracle is attributed to them, and if you somehow have access to uh, their treasury of merit, then you'll be you'll be all right. You'll, you'll get into heaven, may have to spend some time in purgatory. No, that's not what he's talking about. A saint is someone who's in Christ. That's it. Not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ, we are made holy. He mentions that here in verse 12. We are holy and beloved. We are accepted before God. He has made the implications of our salvation so profound 
here already, having having said in the earlier verses in chapter 3, put off those things, like taking off filthy garments and setting them aside, not that you would, would put them in the wash and, and intend to wear them again. No, you'd take them off and burn them, bury them. They're not something that you'd want to put back on. They're not something that are attractive. They're not something that will serve you going forward. Put those off. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to his lust. Uh, Romans 13 teaches us. He says here, in fact, the the the, uh, the order of words in, and as Paul wrote it, or Paul, um, what's the word, spoke it to the, to the uh, secretary that would write it down, is the command put on, put on. We saw the, the opposite or the opposing command earlier, that we should put off the other things, that we should, uh, verse 8 says, lay them all aside or put off these other things because the implication in verses 9 and 10, we already have been, we already have put off these old things. The old man has been set aside. We have been made new in Christ and are being renewed, verse 10, to a full knowledge uh, according to Christ. And the implication is that because of that reality, now our lives should be different. We live differently. So he says, therefore, put those things off. Don't, don't be characterized by those things anymore. Instead, there's a whole new set of things. Good, wonderful qualities that should mark our behavior, mark, mark our inner character, our attitude, the way that we approach uh, people and problems in life is different because of Christ, different because of what he has accomplished for us. He introduces this, he says, put off, therefore, based on all the stuff he's been talking about, and then he, he uses this term, the elect of God, the elect of God. Now, we just had an election, I think, in this last week, and and some people won and some people lost, and, and that's how it goes. But this is not something that we put to a popular vote, like, like a popularity contest. This, you know, we think that so-and-so ought to get to heaven. We, we all agree on it. Hey, God, we, we think this person ought to. That's not how it works. God is the one who elects. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who, even Ephesians 1 would say, not just in time he chooses, before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. I think, what in the world is he doing before the foundation? Before the foundation, there was it before Adam and Eve. He's choosing people. God knows people that are alive in the 21st century, and maybe if the Lord uh, waits and, and doesn't come until that time, the 22nd century, he knows those people. He elects some to salvation. Why would that happen? Because God is gracious. He's compassionate because Ultimately, and this is getting way deep really quickly, God the Father wanted to honor and glorify God the Son. Psalm 2 mentions that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 teaches that. God the Father wanted to honor Christ with a redeemed humanity. And we think, why, why, why is that so important? Why is he wanted, not needed, God doesn't need anything, but he wanted in love the Father to love the Son in this way. And you think, well, that's kind of a strange way to do it because the Son had to purchase his own present. But he did willingly. He laid down his life for those whom he chose, those whom he has called to himself. Now, I just want to introduce this. We could talk about it another time. But it is helpful, perhaps, in our thinking to consider this order of salvation and again, I don't know, given the time this morning, I don't know how far we'll get in, even in the verse. But this is an important doctrine to consider, this doctrine of election. 
this doctrine of God chooses people, and how does he do? And is that fair? <laughs> Are we to say God isn't fair? Do you want what what is fair? Then you're going to hell. You want what is fair? You want what is just? We deserve God's wrath. God elected to choose some out of sin, out of destruction, out of condemnation, to be with him, to glorify and enjoy the Son. And of course, 1 Corinthians 15 teaches that when everything has been subjected to Christ, then Christ himself returns everything to the Father so that God may be all in all. What a tremendous act of love within the triune Godhead that involves us. We get to be part of something that is so beyond us, so we can't even begin to understand how does this even work? How, how, does, how does God the Father do this in such a way that Christ will be honored, not just in time, but in eternity, forever and ever? Well, this order of salvation, or in Latin, if you like the Latin, order salutis, the order of salvation, how does this go? Where does election fit in? And where does my my responsibility, my choice, right? This is, I have to believe, I have to repent, I, ha- I have a, a role to play here. Yes, we do. Yes, we do have a role in our salvation. Unless we think, no, it's all of God and we'll just, in fact, there is a, a Christian uh, uh, theology um, emphasis that would say we just let go and let God do his work in us. We just, we submit to him, we surrender to the spirit and we just let him do it. no. Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it's God is at work, yes, to will and to work for his good pleasure, but you've got to apply yourself to these things. Philippians 2 says that. Philippians 3 also says, I strive, I press on toward that goal. So this first thing that we need to deal with, though, is this doctrine of election, that God has chosen some. And other terms that the scripture uses in, in talking about this, it would be foreknowledge or foreknown or to predestinate or predestination. And these are big words, and it's early, and although it's not so early, it's like noon, right, according to our body clock. So we're doing fine. Uh, although now we're getting hungry, so it's time to bring it up. But we have this doctrine of election, which is something that undercuts our boasting, our pride. Again, foreknowledge does not mean God looked down in the future and said, oh, there's one that's going to choose me, and there's another one. These other numbskulls and, and rascals are, are going off their own direction. No, Christ in his and I say Christ because he's the one also choosing God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are together and separate. And how do you understand that even? My point is God is the one who has foreknown in a very intimate sense. He is the one not just looking forward and seeing who's going to do it. No, no one would choose God apart from God's election, apart from God's choice, apart from God saying, this is the path I'm going to pluck these people from destruction and set them on a path of sanctification, salvation, sanctification. So following, and again, this is this is drawn from Scripture. I could defend it in various ways, but we have this, this fundamental thing. Maybe I should have written it upside down. But the point is we start with God's choice, God's election, which is why Paul says, you, as the elect of God, there's a moral imperative. You are chosen for greater things. Why are you turn on back to this wicked stuff that is worthy of God's condemnation? No, you act differently in this world. God has called you, not, okay, so there's there's a couple of different ways that we can understand calling. One is the uh, external call, which is the preaching of the gospel. How will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless there's somebody who preaches to them? Well, that's why we preach the gospel, not just professional uh, preachers, but all of us are reconcilers or, or messengers of reconciliation. We 
call. We provide an external call. But we're talking about here this internal call that God is irresistibly bringing us, uh, effectually calling us to himself. Those whom he has chosen, God saves. God saves those whom he has chosen. He calls them. He regenerates them. Uh, Titus 3, verse 5 is it, I think, that talks about the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Wow. So we have this thing that, that follows the election, follows the choice of God to save some. Now, this, this happens in time. The election, of course, was before time, outside of time. In eternity, God elected, he chose, and now he is calling those to himself. There are There's a little bit difference. In the Gospels, we can read about the, the claim of Jesus when he said, many are called, but few are chosen. The Gospels use that term chosen, in, or excuse me, called in a different way, in the sense of having an open invitation for anybody who could come to him, not necessarily an internal call, but an external invitation to Christ. If you were to give an example of this, in, even in Jesus' ministry, he chose his 12 apostles, 12 disciples to come and be with him, and he called them. He said, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So there was that choice that he made. He knew he was going, who he was going to call, whom he was going to call. And then he, uh, he called them to himself, and they came. Now, of course, one of them was the devil, but he fulfilled even God's plan, fulfilled scripture in that regard. This calling, as the, as the uh, Paul and Peter even use it, is not an open invitation that may or may, or may not be received. This is God's, uh, you cannot refuse this, this message. You cannot refuse my regeneration, my renewal, because you're dead. You, you, apart from me, you could do nothing. Apart from me, you are in your sins, and I'm going to give you life. That's what this calling is about. Here's where we come in. God has done the election. God has done the call. But here we have this responsibility to be converted which again, I put it in the passive tense because God is patient, leading us to repentance. God gives us the faith. First, or Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that even the gift, even the faith is a gift of God. The ability to repent and turn from our sins, that's a gift of God. We have a responsibility to do it. We have a responsibility to believe, to turn away from our sins. But even that is God at work in us. We need all the help we can get. We're a mess. We need Christ. We need his salvation. So God chose, he calls, effectually calls. He converts us, which leads us then to our justification. Whom he has called, he also justifies. Romans 8, 29, I believe, says, we have been justified. We have been declared righteous before God. Not unrighteous, which is who we are in our own selves, but righteous. And it's a gift. It's something that is granted to us, not earned. It's not even external. Now we've changed our clothes on the outside, but inside I'm still a sinner. Kind of like that old uh, statement about the little boy or little girl who, who said the parent wanted him to sit down, wanted her to sit down, whatever. And the child sat down, but he says, I'm, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Well, no, God changes us from the inside out now. So we have a new heart. Now our filthy words that used to characterize us, they're gone. May take some time, may take some effort, may take some some self-discipline, self-control to do that. But God is in the business of changing us from the inside out. We'll get into that in just a moment with, with sanctification. But justification handles our most significant need, and that is we have a bad heart. Not just the pumping organ, but our our whole inner man, our whole uh, spiritual being, our soul is is wicked and needs to be uh, made righteous, needs to be 
um, uh, justified. That leads, of course, then to adoption, the adoption as sons, that we're brought right into the family. You can sing the song, I'm adopted. I'm adopted in, into the family of God. And that means that we're not the only son we're, or daughter. We're, you know, we have a special relationship with God, which we do. But we are adopted as a group of people. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation can be brought before God. And so when we look around in heaven, we're going to see all and hear all kinds of, of wonderful languages, all kinds of shades of skin, all kinds of uh, the ways that we adorn hair or not adorn hair. We see how that, that God is adopting, bringing into his family those who, who don't belong. In our own flesh and our own identity, being an Adam, they don't belong in heaven. But now we're adopted in Christ. And that is our, our reason for boasting. That's our reason for uh, uh, confidence that when we die, we're with him. He brings us into his own family. And again, I mentioned this different times. It's not enough. If God had just uh, elected us, called, converted, justified us, and then said, okay, you're on your own from here on. I hope you have a nice life, and I'm not going to send you to hell, but you got you just make your own way in the world and in eternity. hope it goes well for you. God doesn't do that. We need him. He is the, Christ himself says, I have gone to prepare a place for you. That's the good news, that, he, that Christ wants us not to be you know, servants outside, even in the, to his apostles, that I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. Abraham is called the friend of God, and, and even more intimate than friends, a child, so that we can cry out, as Romans 8 says, we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa, uh, the, the relationship that is ours. I understand God is the Father of all living things, in a, in, a, in a creator kind of a sense, but in a redeemer sense, only those who are in Christ can claim this sonship or this adoption as the children of God. The next step, this is where we get uh, well, all these are, are somewhat in chronological order, logical order, perhaps. But a sanctification. Uh, sanctification starts, what well, can be thought of in two ways. You could talk about justification as being a positional sanctification. We have been made, we've been brought together, we're in Christ now. We have been sanctified or set apart in Christ. That is a position that cannot be changed. If you're in Christ, we sang it, we've read it, Romans 8 says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from that. That positional sanctification is real, it is certain, it is eternal, and yet we want to grow in our sanctification. We could contrast positional sanctification with progressive or ongoing, being made more conformed to the image of Christ. The renewal we, we learned about back in verse 10. Uh, and, and 11, the renewal that is going on, renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We want to grow in our holiness. We want to grow in our in our being more set apart to God. And the world says, you're set apart enough. You're weird. You're strange. You're, you're, why are you doing those things you're doing? To be more like Jesus means we're going to be more hated by the world. Jesus said, the world hates me and they're going to hate you because of me, but blessed are those who endure to the end. Blessed are those who receive the persecution of those who don't know any better. They're, they're blinded. They are blind guides of the blind. Let them alone. You be, remain steadfast. You grow. You keep growing in me. You pursue the maturity. You pursue the holiness, the purity, without which no one will see the Lord. We want, and this is what Paul is saying here in verse 12, we want to be more like Jesus in our daily lives. We have an, an eternal position in Christ, but our daily practice, 
our conduct, our behavior in life needs to reflect who we are in Christ. So a sanctification, we persevere, we abide in Christ. That means that we obey him. Uh, Jesus said, John 15, if you uh, obey my word, then you'll abide in me. And he says it kind of a couple different ways, backward and forward. But abiding means obeying. Abiding means believing in Christ. It means we find our life in him. As Paul has been saying here, our life is hidden with Christ and God. We persevere to the end. And we think, I can't do it by myself. Well, God knows that. He hasn't left you. He is the one who bears you up. He is the one who carries each one of us through the good times, through the bad times, through the times we don't know if this is good or bad. We're uncertain yet. We, it seems awful bad or it might seem good. We, God is with us all the time. It's not just something we sing at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us right now, which ought to comfort us. It ought to be a balm, a, a soothing a salve upon a, 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 a sin-sick, a weary soul, difficulties that we have without and within. But it's also a sobering should have a sobering effect. If God is with us, he's with us all the time. And not just externally, like we look upon each other externally. God is with us. He knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Which again, we want to have a clear conscience like Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah said, Lord, you know, all that I've done is for you. I, you know, Remember this to me for my good. Romans, or Nehemiah 13, at the very end of the chapter, he talks about that. Saying, I've done all these things for your glory. So you know, get, count that to my credit. No, we, we reflect in the fact that, that God is with us. He is the one who, who strengthens us. Christ himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Any perseverance that we have is a gift of God. We want to, in our own uh, purpose and resolve in our hearts, to, to follow after God. But oh, you realize how difficult it is? Do you know the temptations that are in this world? Do you have any clue? Jesus does. He was tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. And so for us to say, well, Jesus, you don't know what I'm going through. Uh, you know, and to sing the old spiritual song, I'm a man of constant sorrow, um, and, or the, nobody knows the, the trouble I've seen. I mean, Christ has. Christ has been through it in ways we cannot even begin to imagine. And so we can find refuge in that. We can find strength because not only is Christ interceding for us, praying for us, applying his own righteousness to us, but the Holy Spirit is given to us as a seal, as a as a, um, a guarantee of our salvation. It's not something that we need to, to you know, he's, he's left us alone, kind of like an alien invasion. He was here, he gave us wonderful things, and he left. And what are we going to do now? That's why Jesus said to the apostles, wait in Jerusalem. Remember when Jesus ascended to heaven, he says, wait in Jerusalem another 10 days, I will send you another comforter, another counselor. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will help you. You need all the help you can get. You're getting all the help you need through the Holy Spirit, through the church that he's building, as, as was as began on uh, Pentecost uh, Sunday. We have this ability now to persevere, to abide in Christ. And we have the expectation. The, the crowning jewel of salvation is glorification, to be glorified, to have a physical resurrection. We have been made new. We are being made new internally. We have a new heart. We have a new mind. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. But man, what is this flesh that gets in my way? Romans 7, Paul says, a man who's been in the faith 30 years or so by that time, maybe 25, he says, uh, wretched man that I am, you know, I, I want to, from my inner man, I want to serve God. I delight in God's law. I delight in God's law, but I got problems. You know, 
I, I see a commandment, and I want to break it. Why do I want to break that commandment? It's good and, and, and holy and righteous and good. And yet, I wouldn't have known how wicked and sinful I am apart from God's mirror, God's law that shows me my wretchedness. And not just before Christ, but in Christ, we have problems. We need a glorification. We need this body removed. Now, we read about it in Colossians 2 that we have been circumcised, not, a, not just a, a little bit of flesh removed, but the whole body of the flesh removed in the circumcision of Christ, what he is doing to give us a new body. But it's not fully accomplished quite yet. This, this resurrection we look forward to, uh, and even to, to claim, uh, you know, sometimes for our dearly, dearly loved ones who are now in the Lord's presence, we often um, make it appear like they have their, their bodies and they're skipping and jumping and doing all this wonderful they're not resurrected bodies. They are spirits, soul spirits, standing before the Lord with him. How do we understand that? What does that even look like? We don't see soul spirits just around. I mean, we look at each other and we can see you're alive. They're, your soul spirit is still connected with your body, your physical body. But, but what is it to be in God's presence? It's wonderful. It's great. One, one person said, I mean, there are many things we look forward to in heaven, in the, in the presence of God. But one thing, the absence of sin. There's no sin. Not in society, not in the society of heaven, but even more personally, not in me. No no sinful thoughts, no sinful words that might come out of my mouth, no attitudes that are, are offensive to God or rude or harsh or somehow uh, demeaning toward other others. Uh, there's no sin. We look forward to that day, a glorification to be just like Jesus. That's what we look forward to. So when Paul says, so as the elect of God, this is the context. It's not just, hey, you guys, why don't you try this for a change? I know that being a Gentile is hard and these, I mean, all this, the sales pitchy, whatever. No, you are in Christ. Christ has bought you. You are alive together with him. There are some implications then on how you conduct your life, how you relate to your spouse. We'll see that in this context. Husband and wife relationships, parent-child relationships, relationships, even the the master-slave relationship. We'll talk about slavery when we get to that, that text. But being in Christ changes everything, Paul says. So, as the elect of God, and notice he says, holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. I won't fully unpack all these things because there's so much when Paul uses these three terms and others like them, elect, holy, beloved. We often think of that in terms of the church, that we are the elect of God, that we're called to holiness, that we are beloved. God loved us, right? There's a whole, there's a whole Chris, or a, a children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, which is great. But you know these three terms, and others like them, are used first in the Old Testament to describe God's relationship with Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the implications of these and, and others shows that in as much as God provided and promised salvation for them, and Abraham even believed God and was reckoned as righteousness. And others, others in following after his example are, are reconciled or justified. And we'll see them in heaven. This extension, this opportunity for salvation is now apart from the law of Moses, apart from being a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is for anybody. Jew, Gentile alike can call upon the name of the Lord. Didn't we see that in verse 11? There is no Jew. No Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave, free, or, um, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free man. No, Christ is all and in all. Christ is, is what we look to. Christ is the one we celebrate. Christ is, is who we find our identity in. If we are in Christ, then we can and we must put on 
a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience that we'll look at next week because this was enough for us. God is good. God is gracious. God saves. He didn't need to do that, but he did to honor his son, to bring many sons to glory. That is our expectation and hope. Our Father in heaven, we pray that each soul here would respond rightly to your word. This is a surprising uh, uh, statement that we can, that we are elect. Those who put their faith in the Lord are responding to your call, your internal call, your, your desire, your love that has been set upon us that we would respond to you and be justified, adopted as sons to be sanctified. All these wonderful things we've been, been learning about. Please help us to remember never uh, to get beyond the, the glories of the gospel, but then also not to fall short of the implications of the gospel in our daily lives, to be kind, to walk in love, even as our Father uh, and Christ himself loved us and gave himself for us. Please help us to lay down our lives uh, practically, tangibly even, as, as the case may be, to serve other people, and especially not just with physical needs, as, as important those, as those can be, but with the spiritual need of reconciliation with the God of heaven, a righteous, judging, holy, and yet loving and kind and merciful God. Please save and please sanctify. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.